Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, you're listening to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR. My name's Shane. Uh, I'm here with Fiona. How are you doing today, Fiona? Hi, Shane. Um, I had a question that I was just thinking about. Mm. I'm springing this on you, but uh, maybe you know. Who sings the version of uh, Burning Down the House in our intro? I don't know. I don't, don't know ask who me that. Yeah, fair enough. Lis- listeners, I'm just curious. I bet one of you knows who that is. So can you call the station or email us? Uh, come to our website, give us a call at the office, uh, 96547389. Shane wants to know who sings our intro <laughs> theme song. Um, I hope that one of you can help me out with this. I'm sure that someone can. Um, thanks, everyone. Sorry for my brief tangent before we even got started. Um, today, we actually have a really great interview, I think. Uh, Simon Robinson, who's the Managing Director of Not-for-Profit Research Practice, The Office, talked to us about... Uh, some of the work around public housing that that organisation has been doing. Uh, so we're just going to go into that. I think you'll find it really interesting. Um, thanks so much for coming to talk to us today, Simon. Can you start by just telling us a bit about the office, you know, what it is, how it started and, and how you got involved? Yeah, well, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so office is it's a not-for-profit uh, research practice based out of Melbourne um, and it was founded three years ago along with myself and a landscape architect, Steve Minton. Um, and basically, we were interested in rethinking how um, built environment practitioners work within the city um, and through creating a, a not-for-profit business structure, how could we work for the public good? Um, so we have a board of directors that oversees the managing and the, rank, the operations of the company, um, but also a constitution, which basically sets out legally binding um, objectives of the practice and kind of more broadly that it, it's um, basically doing doing work for the public good. What are built environment practitioners? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, so I'm an architect and Steve is a landscape architect. We've got an urban designer on our board um, as well as other architects. So practitioners that work directly with the built environment so the city um, in our instance, but it could be uh, buildings and the urban condition more broadly. So I know you've been doing some work about public housing. How did that come about as a sort of specific focus within that, that broader remit that you've talked about? Yeah, so as I said, our constitution sets out that we have to do work for the, the public good. Um, and when we were starting out, we were interested in... Um, the public and what, what that means. So we actually ran a lecture series called The Politics of Public Space um, and that was held throughout the city of Melbourne and we invited other built environment practitioners but also um, people interested in the city. So we had lawyers, um, planners, artists come and speak within public space about their own practice but also their understanding around the city. Um, and that... Um, led into a series of publications where we transcribed those conversations and released them as a book, so engaging in public discourse as well. So 
the broadening of um, our constitution as a practice, but also how, as a not-for-profit, we're going to actually intervene into the, in the city as well and operate. Um, I mean, not-for-profits aren't um, unique um, in, in terms of business structure, but in terms of an architectural practice, there's, um, well, we don't know of any other ones operating in Australia. Right. Um, it's kind of quite popular in the UK or, or the States, but it hasn't made its way to Australia just yet. So you're pioneering? Uh, I guess so. It's definitely an experiment. Um, <laughs> we're, we're working it out as we go. That sounds, um, that sounds like a good plan to me. Um, you've recently released a report on the Barack Beacon public housing estate, and listeners of this show will know that we've spoken to residents in the past who live at Barack Beacon and is currently slated for demolition under the public housing renewal program. Would you be able to tell us how um, how that report came about? Yeah, well, I mean, just to continue on from the lecture series that we're holding, we actually had um, Kate Shaw, who's an urban geographer from the University of Melbourne, who obviously has a strong interest in public housing, and she spoke at the, the Carlton Estate and kind of described... Um, the, the, what, what has happened in that particular context. And so that led us into um, starting to really explore what was happening through the Public Housing Renewal Program, and which has led into what's currently happening through the housing build. And we're interested in understanding why there'd never been a refurbishment study done on these estates. So the government's kind of has a broad statement that none of the public housing estates are fit for purpose, and they can't be refurbished to bring them up to contemporary standards of living, um, yet we couldn't actually find any specific uh, reports or refurbishment studies done on individual estates. So it was interesting that there was this blanket statement that all public housing estates can't be brought up to contemporary standards of living, whereas being architects and, and having experience in this area, we could quickly identify estates that do have potential to be refurbished. So... Back in um, the start of this year, actually, we undertook a study on the Ascot Vale estate, uh, which has now led into the Barrack Beacon um, estate. And basically our study is called Retain, Repair, Reinvest, and it has three key principles. Um, the first being retain the existing communities, so not relocating them. Uh, second being repair the existing buildings to um, reduce the environmental impacts and then reinvest any savings back into public housing. Um, so essentially it's a strategy to understand the refurbishment potential of public housing estates, but assessing them um, individually and specifically to their, to their site, which, again, it's not um, revolutionary. It's, it's what's kind of undertaken throughout the construction industry. It just hasn't seemed to be done um, in regards to public housing. Um, what's the government's response been like to those reports? Uh, quiet. Yeah, we haven't... We've, we've presented it back. So Homes Victoria, obviously, the department undertaking um, the, or the renewal works. Um, we re presented back to them um, the Ascot Vale report, which um, it kind of went quiet for a while, but we understand that they are actually refurbishing the block of flats that we undertook the study on um, and we kind of got that information from a resident that was living on the estate and then going out there and actually speaking to the builders. Um, so yeah. it's kind of 
they are a huge win for the community out there and, and for us. And it's interesting that um, they are uh, going ahead with some of the work. Um, that flat had been empty for two years due to, due to a fire mm-hmm. and all the tenants being relocated and not the work's not being serviced. Um, and then two months after releasing our report, um, the work started. So it's quite coincidences are there <laughs> that that report actually might have had a, a bit of an impact. So they haven't publicly said, wow, thanks for your work. This is a great idea. Let's try it. They've more sort of gone, hmm, we'll, <laughs> we'll quietly start refurbishing based on the report and not make it public because we don't want to, I guess, set a precedent. Do you think that's what's going on? I think so, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, if that's, if that's what it takes, we're, we're kind of happy with that. Um, Whatever works. I, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Ascot Vale Estate in particular, so it's um, an estate that was built back in the 40s and there's 47 three-storey walk-ups throughout, so it's quite a large site. Um, and the, because of our resources, we only looked at one block of flats, which was empty, uh, which is now getting refurbished. So hopefully that sets the precedent for the rest of the estate um, because now the residents can say, well, they can be refurbished. Um, there's investment from the government to do that. So why can't that be applied to the rest of the estate as well? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want this to sound like I'm minimising the work that you're doing, but it, it seems almost like common sense that it's more, it's cheaper and more efficient to, to refurbish the existing stock than knock it down and build it over again. And environmentally oh. as well. Yeah, and for the people who live Absolutely. there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's not. It's not a radical approach. It's just <laughs> it's oddly um, quite simple um, and stacks up when you do look at the economic argument as well as the social and environmental impacts as well. So, speaking of that, what did the reports find in terms of the the savings to the environment, the people, and hard hard cold cash? What 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 did the Barack Beacon and the Ascot Vale reports show? Yeah. So. I mean, ultimately it boils down to an economic argument, which is um, kind of sad that you, you quantify some of these social costs to, to an economic value. But we work with um, FGF Economics, who are economists, um, and we started to quantify some of the health and education costs of relocating residents from um, existing communities. Um, we also quantified, obviously, the direct cost savings through um, refurbishment by, uh, against demolition and rebuild, um, and then also the relocation costs as well. So, a lot of the residents. So, the, the, the current strategy by the government is to um, remove all the residents from the existing estate, and so those residents have to be housed somewhere. Mm. And obviously, there's a. Um, I think the waiting list for public housing is 120,000 people at the moment. So, I couldn't imagine that there's empty homes around. So basically they're having to pay private landlords to house public housing residents. So we're able to quantify those um, figures as well. Um, and then obviously the environmental um, savings as well. So um, I mean I've got the, the bag beacon um, figures in front of me here. And so through, um, through those kind of cost savings we're actually um, able to save $24 million in direct cost savings for the whole project um, and then I mean there's we go into quite a lot of detail in terms of the ongoing cost to the government as well um, so and 
I mean, it's quite specific to the, the ground lease model, which is being applied to Barrack Beacon, which was different to the Ascot Vale as well. But the figure that we're trying to get to within all of this is this blanket statement that the government said about refurbishing all the public housing. There's a $200,000 figure that was thrown around then um, for the cost to refurbish um, the existing uh, dwellings. Per, per which dwelling. Which seen as too much. Per dwelling. Yeah. Um, so in both instances, we've, we've been able to achieve less than that, around 170000 um, So, And that's to um, bring them up to contemporary standards of living, so achieving energy standards, but also access as well, so inclusion of lifts, um, widening of doors, and like disability access and things like that. So already you can kind of see the cost savings through just refurbishment um, through our approach um, compared to... Uh, uh, new build, which in the Ascot Vale study we did was coming around to 400000 per dwelling. So it's about a third of the cost to, it, to a new build. It really does seem like a no-brainer. And when you're looking at these older-style public housing, so you mentioned that the Ascot Vale estate was built in the 1940s. They're three-storey brick walk-ups. They're beautiful, and it's a real shame to see them demolished. Ascot, for, I mean, Barack Beacon, I'm not, how old is Barack Beacon? It's also quite architecturally interesting as a, as a housing style as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, they're about 40 years old and they're one of the last estates to be built by the Homesland Concrete Factory, which was a state-owned basically housing manufacturer. Um, and they did a lot of the um, concrete walkouts, but also the towers as well. So it was like this all-in-one fabrication design and then also a construction entity that was state-owned. Um, and so that got disbanded along with the Housing Commission. Um, so it's one of the last examples of that particular moment in time. But it's also reminiscent of um, public housing estates which were being built in, um, in the UK um, from the 60s to the 70s as well, um, which... Again, the government actually funded their architects to go over and do a bit of a study tour to those, those estates and bring back the learnings um, from, from those examples. And um, they're all kind of heritage listed and quite significant in the um, trajectory of English architecture, or UK, United Kingdom architecture, whereas here they're uh, deemed less significant, which is, I think, that stigma around public housing as well, um, whereas these these estates are actually built with a lot of care and designed um, with residents in mind as well. So what are you hoping um, is going to happen next with these reports? You've released two so far. What, what's, what are you hoping to the government does with these? Yeah, so, I mean, this one, the Barrack Beacon one, which we released about two weeks ago now, um, it's different in the sense that we're looking at infill as well. So this is where... You retain the existing buildings, but um, build additional dwellings around um, around the estate. Um, so one of the biggest comments from our Ascot Vale study was we only looked at refurbishment, which doesn't actually deal with the huge wait list of um, public housing, um, uh, people trying to get into public housing. So on this one, we're actually proposing to, to build new, new dwellings on the site as well. Um, and showing that it is possible to increase the density. So we've got kind of two 
case studies now that look primarily uh, exactly at, at refurbishment, but then also refurbishment and increasing density. Um, and we hope that these are two case studies that then can be show, firstly show that it's possible, quantify uh, the benefits of doing this way, and then also um, set up a precedent for how, how other estates could be, potentially be dealt with. And how have um, the residents reacted to the idea of infill? Yeah, so, I mean, in all the work we do, um, the residents are kind of our client. So we're working quite closely with Save Ascot Vale Estate, which is a resident-led group, and again in Barrack Beacon with Save Barrack Beacon Estate. Um, so a lot of, or all of what we're doing is coming from the residents, and we're treating them as our client. Ascot Vale, they didn't want infield. They wanted to retain their open space around their buildings, which is... Um, completely fair. Um, they really enjoy that open space. Barrack Beacon, they were, the residents were more open to infill, understanding that um, perhaps, perhaps some of that space should be used for more, more public housing dwellings. Um, so, yeah, they, they're extremely supportive of our proposal and it has kind of come from them as well. That's great to hear. I guess it's also perhaps locational where Ascot Vale and some of the inner city public housing estates there just isn't that much open space and and some of those areas around the old public housing estates are the only green space whereas Barack Beacon is across the road from the beach there's really beautiful walking areas through lovely green pathways all along the foreshore and it's much easier to get that open space without you know just not having to leave the estate very very far do you think that perhaps may be an uh, in, uh, factor as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful location, which is um, kind of its downfall as well. And I think that's why it's been targeted for redevelopment. Um, the fact that a public housing estate resident can have a three-bedroom ha- uh, apartment with bay views um, is sadly deemed as inappropriate. Um, so I think in this instance, the, the residents... So the government has already released this for tender um, with the idea that construction will start next year, uh, late next year. And part of that contract um, states that the government has to clear the site before the development starts. So it's looking like that estate will be demolished probably mid next year. Um, And I think that the tenants are very aware of that. So I think they're a bit more open to meeting the objectives of what the government's proposing, which is obviously that increase in density. So um, they're a bit more open to, to look at infill in that regard, I think. Yeah. Um, so what's coming up for the, the project? Are you going to keep working around public housing issues or are there other areas that you want to do more work in? Yeah, I mean... Um, I think, uh, I, yeah, we're obviously really committed to this public housing um, issue and really keen to push this further i mean we're just trying to get it in front of the right people at the moment um and the the huge push for us was to get this out early november to hopefully influence um the state election that's happening on the 26th and allow it to be used by politicians so we're not politically aligned to anyone Uh, we're completely independent but what we do offer with this report is a um a factual um, understanding of alternatives. Mm-hmm. And so 
the report is publicly available and um, politicians, uh, residents, community groups can use that however they like as well. Um, So we're interested in how what we produce can then be used by by other people who might not have the means to, to actually undertake something like this. Yeah, and I think it's really important to influence decision makers using things that they can understand and the fact that you have costed this in such a comprehensive way and using the expertise that you have within your not-for-profit firm is a really great tool for action and activists in other groups to then be able to perhaps influence change and save Barack Beacon even. That would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And I think um, just change the conversation as well. There's a lot of comments around that it's just not possible. Refurbishment mm. isn't possible. Um, whereas we've got two reports that clearly show that it is. It's cheaper um, and it has huge social and environmental um, savings as well. So if, if, if it is possible, then what, what is the reason that this is happening? Um, uh, and to change that conversation. I mean, the implication of what you're saying, and I appreciate that you're independent, maybe don't want to go this far, is that when the government decides to, to demolish and rebuild rather than refurbish, that's a, a decision to hand over funds to the private sector that, that's just not required uh, at a massive social and environmental cost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to in the end, doesn't it? Um, and I think... Yeah, I mean, a lot of our a lot of our report dives into that as well, and the the eventual um, management of these spaces by private entities, mm. um, and the amount of money that's lost through that way of financing the project as well is kind of um, quite staggering. So. It kind of blows my mind that there used to be a state-owned housing manufacturing company that sent people on study tours to the UK. Yeah, Daniel Andrews, yeah. bring it back. <laughs> you brought the ESEC uh, back. Bring that back as well. Yeah. That's so that great. Song. Yeah. That was an yeah, experiment, was yeah. It was considered leading-edge, yeah. state-of-the-art stuff. Now it's yeah. going to be knocked over. Very sad. Is there anything else that you'd like um, our listeners to know about? If people want to find out more, how do they get in contact? Um, yeah, so you can, the, all the, yeah, both the reports are on our website, which is www.office.org.au. Um, feel free to download them, circulate them. Um, Take them to your uh, candidates in the upcoming state election. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, again, like, those two reports are very specific to the sites that we're looking at, but this is happening throughout Metropolitan Melbourne, so there'll be no doubt... Uh, public housing estate in your suburb or or city that this is going to happen to. So just becoming aware of that and thinking about alternative um, ways to to go about that renewal um, would be uh, a a good thing. So what's the website that people can go to? Yeah, so it's www.office.org.au. And on there we have a resource tab which has... um, Uh, The reports, we've got uh, publications up there as well if you're interested in the politics of public space. Um, Yeah, and I mean, the other group to get in touch with would be um, Save Public Housing Collective. This has been um, hugely important for us and and helpful um, in kind of getting word out about what's going on. So I'd recommend checking them out as well. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time, Simon. No worries. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.
Bye. Bye. Um, you're still listening to 3CR at 55 AM with Shane and Fiona on Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show. Uh, that was Simon Robinson from The Office. And we're about to hear some community service announcements. If you're a charity or community group looking for office space or a co-working space, Ross House has rooms of different sizes available, from 15 metres squared to 100 metres squared, at affordable prices. Many charity groups already call Ross House home, so if you're interested in joining a vibrant community or working towards social justice and environmental sustainability, please visit rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650 Ross House is a 3CR supporter. Yeah, you can join us at Ross House, which of course is where we are. Hag has been at Ross House since the 80s. Nice to since know the that. 80s. I know, right? Um, so that's nearly all we have time for. I just wanted to mention that the state election's on in a couple of days. And if you haven't already voted, perhaps think about public housing when you are thinking where to put the little number on the ballot sheet. There's quite a number of different parties that have okay policies. Shane cannot stop rolling his eyes. Being an anarchist, he's against voting. Oh, excuse me. I'll not be <laughs> liable, I guess. Anyway, don't forget about public housing when you vote is what I'm trying to say. Shane, tell us how listeners can get in contact with Housing for the Aged Action Group. Yeah, if you want to get in touch and talk about some policy stuff um, or becoming a member, anything like that, you can give us a call on 96547389. That's 96547389. Or if you're an older Victorian with a housing issue you want to talk about, uh, concern for the future, current problem, anything like that, uh, you can call us toll free on 1300 765 178. That's one three hundred seven six five one seven eight. You can also get us on the internet at www.oldertenants.org.au and we're also on Twitter and Facey. Fiona, we're recording this a week early. There's every chance that Twitter will not exist oh by this time, God. by the time the show goes to air. I'll miss Twitter. I don't want it to leave. The don't brutal takedowns are just endlessly entertaining. Yeah, but now it's just Elon Musk taking himself down all the time. It's not as... <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so good, sort of great. Um, so we're going to finish with a song. Uh, I put it to the Hag staff the other day, asked them to recommend some songs that we could play on this program, preferably local and independent, because we were got some critical feedback that maybe Beyonce didn't need the extra <laughs> profile that our show could give her. <laughs> Sad. Um, so uh, Libby Heath suggested this song. Uh, I've never heard it before. I'm excited to give it a listen. This is The Whirling Furfies and My Brown Yarra. Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, here's a song you might remember. Here's a song you might have heard. Down by the Yarra sometime.